And welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 178. I am hosting as Nicholas Minix. Joining me on Thursday, uh, November 13th, is Eno Saris. Eno, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I had to kill a frog in my throat, but I'm good. That's good. Did it put up a fight? Uh, yeah. I, I am such a baby. I cannot sleep with even the slightest of sore throats. No, that's difficult. Um, usually you have to take something laced with a little bit of alcohol for that. I think that helps. Mm. And but I mean like NyQuil or related. I don't mean. <laughs> Not bourbon? No. <laughs> I mean that may work, but I don't have any experience with it, so I couldn't tell you. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Uh, obviously we're going to get into discussing outfielders this week uh, for particularly Zach Sanders' uh, end-of-season rankings, which came out on Monday, and we'll be talking about those again next week as well, uh, because we'll also be writing about those as well. But first, get into a couple of news-related items uh, to discuss. Obviously, at this time of the year, we don't really expect a whole lot of news to discuss, but there are a few things that have gone on. Um, And perhaps most notably or at least the most notable players, Victor Martinez resigning with Detroit. And we talked maybe a little bit about him coming off the season, but obviously the power, I think the power is the biggest surprise as easily as far as his production goes. And it seems like, I mean, basically this contract is described for Detroit. Uh, it's a four year, $68 million deal, I believe. And it's been described for Detroit as basically, Hey, they're ponying up for, essentially 2015 maybe 2016 this is a 36 year or a hitter entering i think is 30 age 36 season so they're probably not expecting him to perform quite like he did this past season and maybe even the upcoming season by the time this contract is ready to expire but i mean does this seem like the, i mean obviously this seems like a <laughs> vmart very smart to uh to decline the qualifying offer obviously uh does this really i mean it seems like First of all, a difficult investment to buy for Detroit, but I guess if it's a team that's all in, an understandable one. But where do you put his production in terms of regression next season? Yeah, I mean, I think it'll have to come in in the uh, power department. He's such a proven guy when it comes to strikeouts. But, you know, he did push that to a pretty uh, far extreme. I mean, um, last year was the first time he ever walked more than he struck out. And um, and he pretty much peaked in walk rate and strikeout rate, um, both at, at 35 years old. So I mean, pretty crazy year actually. What's incredible uh, when you, you think? I mean, when sh- as strikeouts go up and his go down, it's. I mean, it's. I think it's almost even hard to grasp how incredible it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. And like he's doing things that you're not supposed to do, um, like. <laughs> For, I mean, for, <laughs> I didn't. Uh, I didn't suggest anything untoward. No, um, no. I think it's. Well, it's funny. He's doing things that he's not supposed to do, which is well. <laughs> I mean, like in terms of uh, uh, contact rate outside the zone, you're not supposed to. That's supposed to uh, fall apart pretty early on, and um, he's actually improved in that uh, category throughout his career. So he started out as slightly above average. 
um, you know, at the very beginning of his career. And then um, lately, he's about 20% better than the league average. I'm not saying uh, 20%. He, he, he's averaging about 89% uh, on contact outside the zone. And the league average is around 66%. So, I mean, he's killing it out there. And what's even weirder is that he's relatively reaching more on pitches outside the zone. So he's, he's somehow found some pitches outside the zone that he really likes um, and is doing a really good job covering them. Um, and he's doing so at an advanced age. <clears throat> you know, it's the kind of stuff that I would, I, I would point to as being um, something to worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy who's, you know, reaching more, um, and builds a lot of his value on, on making uh, pitches outside the zone, that would worry me. Uh, because it's the kind of thing that fell apart with Josh Hamilton. And Josh Hamilton followed the aging curves almost perfectly, where his uh, ability to make contact outside the zone fell apart, and then he fell apart. Um, so, But, you know, for what's worth, Hamilton's a pretty different player overall because he strikes out a little bit more um, and um, is a lefty and... You know, being a switch hitter helps and, you know, being a guy who can spray to all fields helps. I just, I can't, uh, I can't, I can't bet on Vimar doing anything close to the same again. Um, and, you know, he's also probably just a, a first baseman in most leagues. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a 300 hitting, 20, 20 homer hitting um, first baseman is uh, good. Uh, I don't think it's in the top. Um, it, I mean, it, it's top five probably, but you know, think of a guy like Rizzo. Uh, I'd love to see how people spend next year, uh, based on Rizzo versus him. Uh, Rizzo's team is going to improve, I'm pretty sure. So his runs in RBI may not be exactly as good as B marks, but they're going to be closer this year. Uh, Rizzo hit 286. Um, there was a little bit of growth left there. He could hit, he could hit 286, 290 again. So, uh, batting average, you know, 10, 10, 15 points difference, maybe. Uh, Rizzo's uh, likely to hit 30. I would I would bet that Rizzo will hit uh, 10 more homers than VMR next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, to me, I would put Rizzo above Victor Martinez. I wonder um, how it'll shake out in drafts. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see that. I mean, I think you look at, obviously... I mean, you can tie a lot of VMARC's run and RBI production to the home runs. You can kind of, I mean, you see that, and that's that's basically what you would expect. I think you have to address that. I start. I I can't help but wonder, even that if if twenty doesn't turn out to be generous, although the playing time is not extremely generous, and that's probably just related to his uh, his his age, I guess, more so than anything. Um, although I guess it's it's tied to the depth charts for as far as steamer goes but i i, I think yeah 594 pa i mean I, with dh there to help him um uh, when he's got nixon cuts and right i mean he is a dh uh with the current uh lineup configuration so but you're right i mean uh, the 178 iso would be um the second best of the last four years so i mean coming into last year 2011 or last five years, 2011, 2013, he, he was, a, he was a below average ISO guy. Yeah. And I think what makes him hard to, what makes it hard to figure, I mean, I think like 20 is like a nice landing spot. It's a, it feels like a safe number, but 
uh, I mean, we have to remember coming into 2011, he was coming off the, or I'm sorry, coming off 2011, he, uh, or after 2000, coming into 2013 is he obviously the easiest way to put that. He mm -hmm. he came off, he comes off the torn ACL, and I, I think, I mean, expectations were low. It was, I think it was a good year. It was a great year to buy VMart regardless mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, a lot of folks just viewed it as a 300 hitter who might hit 12 home runs and there's not really a lot to like, but I mean, VMart spent the first couple of months of 2013 kind of getting back into, uh, hitting shape or whatever. I don't know what else to call it. And I mean, for the, like the final three to four months of 2013, he was just bonkers. Um, mm. and there was, there was reason to think that 2014 could be a lot more of that. This obviously still ex far exceeds expectations, and it, it's hard even to it's it's I, I think like to basically what you're saying is like he's done a lot of different things that just don't really fit the expectation, and he's done it at such an advanced age that it's just hard to it's hard to give him a lot of that back even in the projection, no matter what that. 2014 entry does i mean i would you would want to drop the weight of 2014 significantly i would think yeah it's <clears throat> but you know one of the reasons that he was such a good buy in 2013 probably was that the league batting average i mean early in his career you know you, a lot of people you base your your feelings on a guy pretty early in his career so you know 2004 to 2007 when victor martinez was hitting 300 with you know 18 to 20 homers a year um, you thought, okay, nice, but you know there was a lot of 300 hitters out there, and some of them hit 30 homers. Um, and you know it, he was a catcher back then. So then when you when you when he loses the catcher designation, you immediately sort of flip him over to 300 hitter. You know DH not really useful. Yeah. But as the you know the the league batting average back in 2004 was like 265 or 270 or something, uh, 269 I think, and then now it's 251. So, you know, that batting average slowly got more and more important um, as he got older and, and, you know, getting first base designation, um, which he might have in some leagues. Let me see how many games he has. Yeah, that will be beneficial if he's to, uh, to hold it in some leagues. And the defensive numbers two, of innings, here we go. It's 30. I mean, he played 30, 35 games, 33. Yeah. First yeah. base in most leagues. So. Uh, you know, back, getting out of the util only slot is pretty huge, and uh, now you can now you can draft him as your first baseman. There's always the chance that uh, you know that your league is full of. Uh, I say this sometimes when I you know wrote, when I wrote about Matt Camp and some other guys. If your league is full of sharps and they're all regressing everybody heavily, um, and they and they're sort of slave to projections and stuff. Um, it's pretty easy to spot guys where you can zag when everyone else is zigging. I mean, you, you just look at Steamer. A lot of guys are going to take Steamer or take Steamer plus Zips and roll that up and make auction values out of them. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll have a calculator on the site that will be able to do something like that. Um, but then you just have to say to yourself, well, if you if you think that, you know, if you look back to the end of 2013, you look through that 2014, and you really think, this is more of a guy who can hit 25 at least, then you like him better than other guys and you should add a dollar or two on there. I, I, I don't see any problem with that. I mean, I know that there's people like Larry Schechter who will tell you, no, you should stick to your values, but your values are based on projections. And a lot of times everyone has the same projections. That's why when I go into labor, I see everybody bidding 
within a dollar sign of my projections because everybody has the damn projections, same damn projections. So it's like, no, if I like a guy, I'm going for it. I mean, I'll try to stay close to my projections because I'm not going to, I'm not going to bid on Victor Martinez if he's a 35 homer hitter. But, you know, will I add a dollar to it and pay as if he's a 22, 24 homer hitter? That'll be the way that I own Victor Martinez. So, you know, um, I, I think there's enough there where you can say you like him. I probably won't uh, go to the mat to, to buy him. Yeah, I, I, pro- I, I, I foresee myself not necessarily owning him, but it'll be interesting to see where he slots when uh or where he falls in terms of price and it's like you said i mean it's very interesting to make that observation i mean everybody has those projections basically the i mean the auction is a totally separate game it is like you said especially if you're going against sharps if you're you know if you're kind of just doing it in an online setting or something like that there's really nothing to uh to game there's no game theory or anything like that involved really um but when you're in a room and you have these opportunities to, you're basically trying to separate yourself from a bunch of guys who are also, I mean, they're all looking at the same numbers and they all have their own ideas of which guys they want to top on. And it becomes, it becomes such a more complex game. And I think that that's knowing where you're going to separate um, the upside and downside and projections and floors and things like that. And that's something I think uh, that would be interesting to even try to factor into some kind of calculator. That'd be I think that's kind of the next step if that ever <laughs> if if somebody actually perfects what the the original calculator should look like because I think that there are a lot of permutations of that as well. But um yeah, I mean I guess one of the ways that people try to go about that is to have uh, sort of a recalculation of ca- uh, auction values while you're in there. Yeah. Um and I think it's I think it's possible. I'm not sure I'm going to have that. Maybe one year I'll have it because I think it would be very useful because as soon as a guy's off the table and there's money off the table, everything changes. Yes. I mean, one, one guy off the table, one amount of money off the table, everything changes. And if you had, theoretically, a, a thing that was recalculating not only the value of things on the table, uh, the remaining players on the table, uh, but also uh, recalculating um, sort of uh, every team's position and needs. Um, and some, some, some products have gotten close to doing this, but... Yeah, no Roto, Roto Lab is a is one that I'm aware of. That's like pretty, relatively speaking. I know it's a it's a popular product. I don't know how popular Roto Lab. Yeah, yeah. And then you know Bloomberg had that for front office thing for for a year or two, so that was cool. But um, was it, and I assume you had some experience with that. Did you like that at all? I did. I did. The thing was. Um, I don't know. I don't. You know. I guess it just wasn't lucrative enough for him. But. Um, yeah. That sort of thing, I think, uh, could get help you sort of get on top of uh, trends. But I guess I end up being I end up being a little bit more intuitive, um, and uh, and I you know I if if there's anything that I do sometimes is be myopic and 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 focus on my team. But at the end of the day, you've got to you've got to build your roster, and you you, you know you've got to figure out what works for you. You can't really manage twelve rosters in your head. Yeah, I think. I think that, I mean, there comes a point where, um, I mean, you have to determine, there are a lot of things that you have to determine, you know, kind of for yourself that, I mean, I, not to make this kind of a, a, a more of a philosophical question, but it, it, there is some, there's some 
I mean, not everyone is going to have the same confidence in the same projections uh, and, and things like that, that it becomes, I mean, that's, that's always what I've, like it, at the end of the day, if there's a software program that tells me every player that I should buy, then I've kind of, it's kind of lost some of the fun anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I think that, but you know, yeah, we eventually may move toward having a tool that, that does that, but there are, there are projections that you can buy more easily than others. And I mean, that's kind of what it boils down to is, um, say a software program or just a complex spreadsheet or something like that is going to give you to some degree, it's going to give you that. Uh, but in the end, um, learning about those players you read and we talk about the players we read the articles and all those things you're going to get a you're going to get a sense of which projection in the end you buy uh, and which which things kind of take away from or add to why you want to pay that extra dollar or get out maybe a little earlier than someone else i mean it's that's why i think auctions are so much more fun than drafts i get i get bored of drafts a lot more you know once you've done auctions enough i think it's uh, it's pretty obvious which one is more exciting to me, but yeah, and there's also uh, something <clears throat> worth saying here is that um, you know we this may not uh, this is kind of shooting myself in the foot, but maybe not. <laughs> <clears throat> but um, you know we have these projections, uh, we have these stats, uh, and we have we have the scouts, and <clears throat> we use these to try and uh, predict, I guess, for lack of a better word, predict the future. Uh, we're not that good at it. Uh, I was just looking at some of the year-to-year correlations on um, on projections, and I thought um, I'd been looking at R squared numbers, but I think I was looking at R numbers. So basically, uh, projections, even for hitters, only project uh, only predict about forty-five percent of the variance in next year's hitting. So they don't even do as good as a coin flip sometimes. Uh, it, that number gets better the more sample size you have and that sort of thing. Um, we know that the bust rate on, on all top 100 prospects is about 50%. So, so much of this is a coin flip. And yes, you can, especially with uh, guys with track records, you can get into the media side of that. Um, but that's why, you know, when I hear people say, you know, stick to your values, Ah, sure, dude. I mean, stick to your values, but what are your values based on? Your values are based on projections. Well, those projections uh, miss half the time. So, yeah. uh, you know, why stick to the values like they're like they're in stone? You know, I, I think um, I'm much more. Uh, Chris Liss is uh, almost a, a follower. <laughs> I've, I've read some of the stuff he's written, and he says we all come to the table with with similar amounts of information. We're all trying to process it, and the ones that win. Um, often uh, process it quicker, maybe, but also just pick the right things and and look at the right things and and decide the right way. Which sounds a little bit like luck, but it's it's a little bit more intuitive, I think. So right. Uh, anyway, I think there's times when you got to listen, and if you if you could theoretically listen to the scouts at the right time and listen to the numbers at the right time, you'd you'd be you'd be you'd be the boss. But uh, for example, on this on this trade uh, that that happened, De- Devon Travis to Anthony goes. Right now we have uh, enough of a track record. I think with Anthony goes, Anthony goes, you know, he goes, Anthony goes, goes, he goes to um, Detroit. As a matter of fact, I was just going to ask you. So, how much is he going to be on your team for next year? He's not going to be because he strikes out too much for you. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's like everybody knows. I, I better go and buy some big strikeout guys. To, yeah, 
to throw. You should go up. get this guy. Yeah, but uh, <clears throat> I mean, yeah, 616 plate appearances isn't a lot, but once you combine it with his minor league stuff uh, and the, the the problems with the strikeout rate um, and some platoon problems, um, I think what emerges is a is a glove first um, guy who uh, isn't likely to hit a league average. Um, but may steal some bases and have a bad batting average. I mean, that's, that's, uh, you know, he used to be a top prospect at one point, but it hasn't been for a long time. So, you know, I think the scouts and the stats sort of dovetail here and say, you know, halftime player, uh, homeless man's Jared Dyson kind of thing. And, um, uh, so that one's easier. The other way, though, uh, Devon Travis is going to uh, uh, to Toronto, and he can he he can at least fake second base. I think he can play second base. Um, the numbers in minor leagues have been pretty good. Um, you know, not necessarily a great patience guy, but uh, good contact, good power, some stolen bases, um, and uh, generally he's played well at at every level. Um, you know. For the most part, he hasn't been a top prospect. Um, and Keith Law went as far as to call him a non-prospect. Um, you know, that may be a little bit harsh, uh, but he's got all the opportunity in the world, and he has very little... Um, I think the know. most attractive thing about him is that he's not Ryan Goins. Right, yeah. But there's, there's, he's, he's a low-information guy from uh, predictions because scouts don't love him, but some do. So there's sort of a conflict there. Um, and then um, the numbers look okay, but he, we don't have any major league numbers. So, uh, you know, there's a, there, that's going to be, Travis is going to be a very interesting uh, guy next year. Um, you know, especially in AL only leagues. Uh, he's going to have to be bought. You're going to have to spend money to get him. And so you're going to be buying a guy that you hope can slot into your MI situation. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't get the job, especially at labor, when we're doing it early in early March, um, you know, I'll have very, I'll have not much more information than I have right now. And as much as I like him, you know, uh, how much am I going to be willing to spend on him? Um, he is not goings. And if they don't buy another guy, I just don't see how they don't put him in there. I mean, this, the alternative is Laurie at second and Francisco and a platoon partner at third. And I don't even think that necessarily uh, the Blue Jays have that platoon partner on the roster right now. Um, and unless it's Edwin Encarnacion or something, and you don't really, you're not playing that guy at third base. So I guess, uh, uh, okay, the alternative is Juan Francisco and Danny Valencia at third. Brett uh, Laurie at second. <clears throat> So that's, a, that's actually a little bit better um, in terms of, you know, Ryan Goins is pretty bad. I think he's a replacement level player. So uh, Juan Francisco and Danny Valencia as a platoon uh, is, is a little bit more of a uh, obstacle to overcome because those guys can be okay against righties, against lefties, if that's all you ever did with them. Yes. Um, so. Well, I think what's, I mean, when I, when I look at Travis, I see just in kind of the age and the type of production that he seems capable of, he looks a lot like Scott Sizemore, who came from the same organization. And, I mean, I think that that's what folks should remember is, like, the big reason you would buy a Travis going into next season is the opportunity. Like, there, is, there are always multiple parts that go into um, 
what makes a player potentially valuable. And I think, I mean, there could be an advantage or a disadvantage to drafting early in March um, because of the news and all that. Like there's, that's, that's kind of where part of the gaming and the auction comes in is such, is how does it, I mean, how does at least one other person feel or how do the rest of the people feel? Because if, if they're going to give me Travis a, a single digit price, which I, they kind of have to, but somebody, somebody's oftentimes willing to pay, you know, upwards of eight, nine dollars for a player like this who looks like he's just going to be on a good team, whereas he should really cost, you know, no more than five because the opportunity, the numbers aren't going to be great. I mean, and just throwing kind of the numbers out there without seeing what a projection would look like or anything like that. But like, and those dollars that you save in that particular instance matter. It's kind of like a. <clears throat> I mean, to look back to various examples I can think of that I bought in labor, um, such as a Josh Reddick for $7 three years ago and a David Murphy before that for like a similar price. Uh, Lorenzo Cain this past year for $10. Like he, those players always went for more like, or, or well, Cain was an exception, but he used to go for more. Like this was just a good year to buy him and it turned out to be even better. Like this is not quite the same case, but a Travis is – Opportunity is the only thing going for him. Obviously, there's a little bit to like as far as what you know, perceivable skills based on the numbers, but he has no AAA experience, um, no major league numbers, as you said. There's nothing – there's not a whole lot to hang your hat on except that he's going to hit it the ninth in, in the lineup for Toronto. And even if he gets 600 plate appearances, you're probably talking – uh, say he gets a 273 batting average, which Steamer gives him. That's probably a little ambitious. Um, but, and maybe you get, maybe you give him, um, 10 homers, right. 10 like, stone bases, something like that, that seems, do, that seems doable be. because he's in the American league is where the parks are, but because he's going to hit at the bottom of the lineup. So he's not necessarily going to, he's not going to score or drive in a lot of runs. He's just going to be kind of a guy in front of a pitcher. So that is true. He could steal some bases from the bottom of the lineup. It's not as much of a, of a problem as it is in the uh, NL. Right. Like if if a Billy Hamilton ends up batting eighth next year, he he stops stop stealing as many bases. I can't I can't even imagine. Like I read uh, Sullivan's piece. I, I think and I think that's a very interesting piece. You should read that by the way if you haven't read Sullivan, Jeff Sullivan's piece on uh, Billy Hamilton and why he may not have stolen as as many bases as we expected him to. But um, I think like and Travis was you know he was he was pretty successful so it seems like Toronto is a team that has kind of adopted a little bit more of an aggressive approach on the pace uh, on the bases a little although not ne- not necessarily as much under uh Gibbons he doesn't seem like a very aggressive guy but uh they'll let you run if you prove to be successful and maybe he he has the smarts to kind of bring that uh, bring that to the, to the bigs once he gets comfortable. Anyway, yeah, I mean, there's there's not a huge reward. You don't pay for a lot, and don't pay for a lot just because it looks like. I mean, even if you think that he's definitely going to get the opportunity, there's not a whole lot that you can you, you can spend on that. The upside is not that. I mean, there, it's it's very difficult, I think, to scale um, ceiling and floor and all those things into a bid. I think that's what makes part of calculating price so interesting. Is and uh, and and then adjusting your bid accordingly. And I think that that's, uh, that's probably the kind of thing that you know, list talks about. And he's probably, I mean, he's pretty good at it. I like how, I mean, sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. He's very, he's extremely aggressive in some cases and he's put together dominant teams at times and he's willing to take a, a bad year, uh, in the other direction. Anyway. Uh, so Travis is an interesting player. I think ghost is an interesting player. 
and he'll probably be on Eno's roster if he costs a couple of bucks because he was going to go after high strikeout players next year and totally throw <laughs> everyone off. But I mean, the, the problem with a ghost, ghost, I've heard it pronounced gauche, so I don't know why. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know why. Uh, I'm going to go with ghost also because he that sounds the way it should ghost, but. <laughs> Someone's probably going to like him more. I mean, this is the kind of thing where I would expect the crowd might like him a little more because you say, all right, he's a left-handed hitter uh, and he has some speed. So he's he can take the platoon advantage away from Rajay Davis. And the Tigers are looking for a leadoff hitter slash center fielder or even a guy that hits at the bottom of the lineup slash center fielder, et cetera. They're, they're going to look at this opportunity and see a bunch of opportunity, uh, you know, a bunch of skill and it just hasn't come together yet. And I would fear, like, I mean, maybe he ends up costing eight, nine, ten dollars in labor, and that's the kind of thing I can understand in the end game if you've run out of options. But really, he's more of a five, six, seven dollar player. You always want to save the dollars, I think. And that's, I mean, he could easily lose this opportunity. That's a guy. This is a guy that I think will be an interesting bid because reality is he shouldn't cost more than five bucks. But yeah, I mean, they have they have in Martinez. Uh, JD Martinez, uh, they have at least one outfielder they can believe in. Um, yes. and then, you know, Rajai Davis, uh, they, they threw him out there in center field, uh, some, and, um, so that's not out, out, you know, not unbelievable to them. So, and, and the, the off season's not over yet. So, True. you know, if, if they get, if they get like a platoon partner, um, you know, for, uh, you know somebody that they they that they think is okay. Tyler Collins, uh, Stephen Moya. You know if they give Moya a chance. Um, there's all sorts of things that can happen that can steal ghosts uh, to steal time from him. So I, I like uh, I like I like Travis's chances better just because I like his skill set better. Even though um, you know people call him you know not toolsy or whatever. You know, I'll take him. I'll take. I'll take a short. I'll take a short uh, overlooked guy with a good contact rate and some power up the middle for sure. Um, what? So, and we obviously we want to get into some more unknowns. I think maybe you're, that's where you're hitting with uh, Yohan Moncada. Obviously, he's the guy who has um, come under. He's come come in interest for a number of major league teams. Is attracting quite a bit of it. Middle infielder which is not what we've seen an influx of lately from Cuba, at least guys who are fantasy relevant. Um, and as you mentioned this just before we got started, Kyler McDaniel wrote a very interesting piece on him, uh, and I was trying to catch up on it as we were getting into the podcast. Um, but, well, first, I mean, I'll, I'll let you start off by commenting on him. He was a play, he, Is he a player that intrigues you? He does, but I'm worried that uh, everyone's calling him a shortstop. From uh, Kylie's piece, uh, I'm not sure that he is a shortstop. So, um, you know, people want to put him on the Mets because they need a shortstop. And any team that, you know, kind of needs a shortstop, they're, they're all over this one. Um, but it looks like he may be more of a third baseman or a center fielder um, from, from Kylie's piece. Also, uh, it's very unclear what he is. Because he did not defect from Cuba. I mean, I don't need to steal Kylie's thunder. You should read it anyway. It's a very bizarre, uh, very bizarre situation. And so, um, you know, we'll know more about this uh, probably before the season starts. But we may not know a ton more because um, there's a July 2nd signing period. Um, 
he may be deemed eligible before or after that period. Um, it's unclear what he is right now because he's not a he's not a defector. Um, you know, so there's no real like sort of political immunity at play here. Um, it sounds like he was let off the island and is allowed to return to the island. And <laughs> that suggests at some point that suggests that possibly um, that the Cuban government is going to get some of a salary. Um, I mean, that makes it sound nefarious. I mean, there is a, such a thing called taxes. We pay taxes, um, you know, so the government gets a part of our salary. <laughs> but, um, it, you know, the way that this is done and, and never been done before suggests that maybe that percentage is a little bit higher than we would uh, be used to. So, um, you know, all of it's very strange. Uh, there's a lot of really great tidbits in there. Sounds like, um, you know, he's a, a little bit rough at shortstop, but uh, can play everywhere else and, and is really athletic. So uh, I just the only thing that worries me is that you know, we have Yasmani Thomas. Um, we have Castillo, um, and we have um, uh, Resnicio, we have Alexander Guerrero. We have a lot of these uh, this sort of second-generation Cuban um, talent that's coming over, and they're getting uh, huge deals. Yeah. And this all is I so think that it'll take is the first guy who gets $70 million and completely craps out. Um, and I and I thought it would be Guerrero, and it might have been Guerrero, but at least Guerrero only got thirty million. Um, so um, Castillo could still be that guy, right? He, he got could 70. still. He had a nice debut, though. I mean, in terms of, I don't look at a lot of his results. I do look at his swinging strike rate because at least he saw you know one hundred fifty pitches. Mm -hmm. um, so um, it was nice that he that he saw one hundred fifty pitches and didn't whiff at a ton of them. And he showed good speed in the field, and some of his balls were hard hit. Uh, I don't know that we know a ton about him, but we do know that. Um, and, um, you know, Thomas uh, looks like a kind of uh, a, a fringy D, um, maybe a, like a worse uh, Cespedes um, uh, situation in left field. Um, you know, Moncada could be, could be an infielder, which would make, would make his value a lot higher. Yeah, just to be he, he's, one of these guys should bust. I mean, I don't know who's it going to be. I, I I keep looking up and like more than one. It's like will really bust. the only one who's busted so far. Yeah, more than one will bust, and <laughs> yeah. I mean, seems pretty likely that more than one will bust. I think. I mean, as you were kind of alluding to, or as you basically got to, and as we've kind of discussed or alluded to in past podcasts, is that um, these first couple of guys. I mean, the hype around Cespedes and. and then Puig and what what kind of came after that? Abreu has probably driven it up in the sense that like he already looks like the best value in terms of Cuban contracts, but yeah, it seems like those guys have really pushed up the ceiling for these other guys to earn money, and they may be way overpaid, um, and that kind of thing may influence just the perception about them, which seems to be that I mean. There's a lot to, I mean, Mankata is 19, so there's probably a lot to take shape in his game that we haven't seen, and we haven't seen a whole lot to begin with. But like you said, I mean, his situation seems strange. He's 19, so he's he's more Puig than, than right. almost anybody else. I mean, um, the fact that his, I mean, his position is undetermined. Like, I, I think what, what you pointed out, and that's what just we're starting to read, is that that's, it all, the, the situation as far as his citizenship or his availability to play in the U.S. is probably the most kind of confounding thing. Like, I mean, what do you do? It, you, there's 
there's reason maybe not even to project this guy for 2015. He would be on your last list of buckets to do <laughs> because yeah. yeah, he might show up. He might show up in uh, he might show up and sign July 2nd, 2015, and then uh, be a 19, 20 year old and in you know first have to go through at least a little bit of double A. Uh, so we might be talking about a cup of coffee guy next mm-hmm. year, or we talk about a guy who signs right now. Um, and uh, gets into the minor leagues, it gets into spring training games, uh, and does the Puig, which Puig went down for a little bit and then came back up for like two-thirds of the season and, and has raked ever since pretty much. I mean, Yeah, Makata you know, could be a guy. I mean, they can, they can they still have plenty of time to send him to a winter league. Yeah, they have, they have winter leagues. Where he would probably take – he could probably be pretty comfortable with that. I mean, because it would probably be in a Latin country. That would probably yeah, be – Yeah, I mean, that's the best-case scenario uh, for Makata. But he's 19. I just – Yeah, it's – doubt that's that's gonna you know everyone's gonna say he's too young so i was trying to find some statistical data on him and it's hard i i mean i don't think he's Tomas. so yeah i mean the statistical data uh, yeah uh, i i mean we've got we've got the the, the davenport translations but there's nothing uh, to them the davenport yeah i mean they're they're i've written about how when i wrote about uh jose Breu, i wrote about how hard it is to do those just because um uh he uh, because they play, uh, they don't know where they're going to play from game, game to game. They um, they show up in um, uh, sometimes they show up and they're moved to like you know podunk fields with holes in them and um, you know there's some there's like two or three really good teams and the rest are really bad and so there's it's really hard to to do statistical analysis of that kind of stuff especially they play less and then the best prospects are hidden sometimes you know Escobar. Uh, didn't play at all because um, you know they didn't want to uh, they didn't want to show him at all. Um, so anyway, uh, the uh, the 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 Davenport translations were pretty bad for um, for Guerrero, and uh, and so I guess you can call that a hit for them. Um, they're not that good for Resident Castillo, so that we've talked about that a little bit before. Uh, Tomas, uh, Yasmani Tomas sounds like he's going to sign and, um, and he, uh, that he's like signed with someone today. Um, and his translations are not that great. Um, uh, his translations for last year would be 273 with a 310 on base, uh, 515 slugging. That's okay. So it's a slugging type of guy. It's a, that, that sounds to me like a Cespedes, you know, in terms of not great on base percentage. Cespedes without the arm, without some of the athleticism, he's slower. Um, maybe a little bit better than Viciedo, uh in terms of power. Um, but um, you know, Tomas offers a risk that he's he's a little bit older. He's uh, going to turn 23, and um, or he is 23, I think. And then he doesn't have with Moncada. You have the fallback of he, he's going to hit each of the infield defi- defi- uh, positions before he hits center field. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, he could be a third baseman. Tomas, right. there's nothing. He's either a left fielder or a first baseman. That's it. Right. Um, so in terms so, of positional value, he doesn't offer a whole lot. And then on top of it, the production is not necessarily going to be that great to begin with. <laughs> I mean, the, the 515 slugging is good. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay. That's good. And uh, and so, you know, if the power translates like a brave, then that's great. Um, he's a little bit further along because he's 23. He's going to sign. He signed today. He is going to do that winter ball spring training track. And you could project him. I would project him for just to be safe, three hundred uh, plate appearances next year. Um, and if I bought him, I'd hope to be reserve 
or you know, I, Chris Liss, uh, bring him up again. He 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 often buys in labor these guys three to five dollar prospects, um, where he's sort of buying into a lottery ticket for the end of the season. Um, and uh, if that's if that's all I have to pay, it might be worth it. Um, you know, if he's in, in an AL team and I can do that, but um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of risk here. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think that there's just there's going to be a lot of risk. I think in buying in any Cuban in any of the Cuban prospects because they don't they don't none of them sound as good as an Abreu, and they're going to cost more at least to the major yeah. league teams, and that tend to that tends to affect perception at least a little bit to me. Uh, also coming into um, say a fantasy season, but that's and. It's a, it's a, it's there's a clear distinction between that and say players coming from from Asia now, um, but just international players in general seem to have kind of ratcheted up things. Uh, so what do you make? A, I mean, and I I caught up just a glimpse of Jeff Sullivan's chat, and basically he was asked, you know, Kwang Kwang Hun Kim, uh, yeah. you know, have a crack. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I pronouncing it. I mean, today. I read up on him today, and I'm not I'm not that. Uh, not that bullish. I mean, he's he sits around 90 miles an hour from the left side. That's even for the left side. That's uh, the low average velocity. He uh, he walked, you know, four and a half batters per nine uh, for his career over in. Um, so basically, uh, he walked a guy every two innings in in Korea, and uh, his numbers were worse than um, you know Dustin Nippert, um, <laughs> who uh, you know was a flame out here. So. I think uh, the Padre, the Padres post they got him uh, Kwon Hyung Kim. Yeah. I think they they got him, uh, hoping that maybe they get Odrisama Despania situation where a guy plays up, um, you know, in, in San Diego, you know, creates some trade value, um, what have you. And then the worst case scenario is they they're, they're hoping to spend like maybe a million or two million dollars on him. Because that's they 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 got Despania for like a million bucks, so uh, I think they're hoping to spend a million or two on Kim. And then the worst case scenario is uh, they've got a lefty reliever for a million, two million bucks, which is kind of the even a loogie goes for that much. So you know it's not normally the Padres wouldn't spend market price on a loogie, but this is a loogie with upside to be more. So I, I, I that's how I would treat him in fantasy. Uh, you know if you want to. If you really think he's, I don't even know if he has a rotation spot. I mean, honestly, there's got they've got so many pitchers there that are in the same bucket. But if you want to, um, you know, maybe I can get him in my, um, in my, you know, twenty team, uh, you know, dynasty with 40, 40 roster slots, and you know, stick him on the end there and, and hope he he works out. Yeah, I mean, there's not. It's kind of as Sullivan put it in his chat. I saw just. With with all the hype that there seems to be now around international signings and the fact that the the uh, the bid uh, for his posting rights uh, or his negotiating rights was still kind of depressed, it says that there's not a whole lot of teams that were excited, and I think that that's just kind of says. But there's a little bit of upside in very deep leagues, and so it's I mean it's not it's a name not to forget, but it kind of equated it's like a very it could be a very 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 poor man's version of a Hosashi Okuma who kind of he joined Seattle and was I mean he was. Cassidy in the bullpen they, they did not really expect him to be a part of the rotation ever but turned out that that splitter was way more devastating than they realized <laughs> yeah <you laughs> and know, not the same worth, worth, uh, in that certain situation Iwakuma told me 
that uh, he thinks the ball gets more movement. Uh, the bigger American ball gets more movement um, in, with, on his splitter. And he, he said he's talked to other pitchers like that. So uh, it looks like maybe the Japanese split finger comes over and is more devastating here in America um, than it is in Japan. Um, and what are the sizes of the baseballs in Korea? <laughs> I don't know, but uh, Kim is also coming over. The slider as his top top weapon. So, so he's boring. Uh, he's a little bit more. Well, he's just a little bit more traditional. He's just right. like a fastball slider guy with iffy control. Uh, probably walks a lot of righties. Um, so, so he's a, yeah. He's he he's, sounds he's, like a loogie with a slight bit of upside, as yeah. you said. Well, uh, he's not an outfielder, and that's certainly. Um, <laughs> we don't have much time for outfielders. Uh, we got a little. We got a little. We got a little. We got enough to talk about Michael Brantley at least, uh, which was a big. He's a big. Obviously, we talk, and we we won't have to talk too much about him. But he was, um, first of all, he's a big topic uh, for kind of us on past podcasts. Hey, what what kind of things are regression going to look like? And that's actually what you talked about in your article on him. Um, and you brought some interesting things, which, and I'm still, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. But when I read your piece on Brantley, for those of you who haven't, you definitely should. Uh, and basically that, you know, that a lot of his, he, he started to pull more fly balls, more, uh, pulled more of them than he pushed. And basically, so in other words, he's also has kind of turned into more of a pull hitter for power. He's kind of, he's, it's, I started to think when you interviewed Chase Headley a few years ago, when he had that breakout power season, he said, I never really hit for power before because I never really tried kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's kind of that same thing, but it's still, it's, it's a late kind of a late career power breakout for Brantley. So how much of this, and I think this is, there's a lot, there's a lot to, um, I mean, there's a lot, I think that we just can't really know about this. Like, and I think you put it well, it's a 50, 50 proposition, where do you where do you think you're going to find yourself on him going in the next season? Well, I like that it seems like you know it's not it, it's not like uh, he just added twenty feet of batted ball. Or actually, if he added twenty feet of batted ball distance, he'd keep some of that. I don't know. It it, it seems uh, like something he could have done on purpose. You know, right? Um, you see the clustering where he used to basically uh, try to dink some doubles. Uh, into uh, left field and then otherwise uh, pull homers out. And then uh, this, this year the spray chart is a little different where he's hitting it with authority up the middle um, and, and pulling more ground balls and pulling and pulling more homers. So, uh, you know, the nice thing for him is that he managed to do that without losing um, sort of the batted, the, the BABIP, um, you know, without getting uh, shifted or whatever. Uh, but he is a lefty hitter, and if he if he shows as a as a pull hitter, there's a possibility that he gets shifted a little bit more. The and the BABIP goes down. He's at a pretty high BABIP. If he if he goes under two under three hundred, um, he's likely to have you know a two seventy five type average. Um, that shouldn't steal any of his power though. So uh, you know that would be an okay outcome I think for him to to have a you know a two uh, 280 average, maybe uh, 20 homers and 15 stolen bases, you know, and keep his sort of pull power. I think that's one way that's going to come out. The other way it's going to come out is that whatever he was before is going to come back and he's going to be more of a, a spray hitter um, and he's going to hit 300 again, but he's going to go back down to 12, 13, 14 homers. Um, either way, I think the stolen bases are going to go down mm -hmm. um, and they, they just age so poorly. 
and he is uh, he is going to be turning 28 next year. So, uh, you know, I, I doubt uh, I pay for him um, at these prices. Um, I think my projection would be something, um, you know, I guess like steamers, 290, 13 homers, 14 stolen bases, uh, with, a, with the chance that that goes down to 280 with 20 homers and 14 stolen bases. That, that's roughly the same value, I think. So it's actually kind of funny. You, you could value him similarly uh, with or without the foul balls. With or without the, the, the pull balls. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I th- Steamer's projection to me looks very looks like a very fair projection. It looks like something I'd probably end up with. And, mm-hmm. but, well, I mean, he seem, it seems just so, it's, it seems almost surely not going to look like that when it comes, I mean, that's what his cost is not going, it's, his cost is, seems like it's going to be drastically greater. Um. So, yeah, I think I saw. I think what did we say the last time we talked about him? That someone took him in the in the set in the beginning of the second round and the early. I think you said in the first round. You might have said in the first yeah, round. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, so I looked. I looked at the year to year correlation for for pull percentage, and it's basically uh, the same as slugging percentage, uh, which I think is an interesting outcome, mm-hmm. um, considering the two are very much linked. But uh, and then if you think about you know, would you take someone like we've been talking about, like Victor Martinez? Would you take somebody's last year slugging percentage and just assume that they could do that again? <laughs> right? I think you slap that. Right. Um, and uh, and you know, so I, I think that uh, Brantley's a nice player. He's uh, one thing that he's got going for him, which we haven't mentioned here, uh, that he's seemingly been a healthy player, um, and. Uh, you know, uh, he's had uh, three seasons of over 600 plate appearances. He's in his uh, health prime. Um, so at the very least, you've got a guy who's going to go out there. And the team may improve around him. I mean, I lo- the Indians, for me, are, are, a, um, are, a, are, are a sleeper pick for next year. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a really great rotation. They've got the pieces to have a good bullpen. Their biggest mistake this year was, I think, not thinking about defense. And then they've got Lindor coming up. Lindor could have a cascade effect where he pushes a bad defender off a short in Jose Ramirez. Um, Jose Ramirez, if he's good enough, can push Kipnis off a second. He's a bad defender. And, uh, and Kipnis in the outfield could push, uh, could push a bad outfielder defender um, you know, off the field. So um, there's, there's definitely a lot going on in Cleveland. Um, and, uh, so he could keep those nice runs and RBI totals, even with lesser power, I think. Um, and, uh, I think he'll be on the field a lot, even with his bad defense. Yeah. Brantley is, and he's also, he was kind of cast and, uh, as a platoon player, largely so. And I think he's kind of, um, he's pushed his way out of that with steadily improving results against left-handers and so, a lot of these things, like you said, the combination of the good health, the fact that he's 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 more than respectable against Latin pitchers, that he's not a he's he's going to be in the lineup every day, and there is something to be said for that. Um, but it, it, it's basically like a, a a position player innings eater, right? <laughs> Nobody nobody's saying you know draft Bartolo Colon in the first round, right? Which is what I mean. That's basically what he was prior to this past season. He was right, a, yeah, yeah. It, it, and only guy because he would be out there every day. Right. Yeah. 
I think I just use Bartolo Colon because the eating thing. <laughs> well, anyway, anyway, speaking of eating innings, um, there's a chance that neither Corey, Charlie Blackman, he, Charlie Blackman, and Corey Dickerson. I think this is we've talked about these guys uh, more so Dickerson just because he looks like a strict platoon player, but Blackman is an interesting. Uh, what I mean. It's easier to talk about both of these guys at the same time. Um, and it's easy to say we're not going to pay the same price. You know, we're not going to pay what probably they're going to cost next season. Is there any reason to think that these guys come? I mean, they are left-handed. So they're going to end up on the right side of the platoons, even if, I mean, the floor maybe is raised some by that. Uh, Blackman is, obviously he had the better fantasy season. Uh, he had a kind of... I guess you would call it a power breakout. Uh, and I was uh, hoping to kind of discern. I mean, I haven't really discerned too much that's that's a whole lot different. Um, but I'm not really sure where to go about these guys. I just view them as even though Kadir is gone. Um, I, there's I, still Stubbs and Barnes, and there's there's definitely platoon partners there. And, you know, Carlos Gonzalez leaving might have might actually be important to their to their playing times. But Right. I, I actually, you know, I view Corey Dickerson as a step above and as a guy that I might actually pay the, the, the price for. I don't know how crazy it's going to be uh, for him. You know, if Carlos Gonzalez leaves, I think maybe the hype train will be too much for me. But uh, I totally buy his power. Yes. Uh, it is the kind of it was there all the way up. Um, I don't think he needs to steal more than eight to ten bases, um, you know, for his value. Um, the really high BABIP is a little bit concerning, but he works in a, he works, he plays in a field that, you know, that's what Coors does is inflates BABIP. So, mm -hmm. um, I, and I, I know that they platooned him a lot. I think he's the kind of guy that you're more likely to say, let's give him a shot at not platooning. You know what I mean? I think the, the power is more irreplaceable in a lineup, especially if Carlos Gonzalez leaves. And you're going to be like, who's our power threat? I don't think you turn to Charlie Blackman and say, okay, you're getting the ball every day uh, because you're our power threat. Blackman's more um, of a top of the lineup guy, even, you know, with bad, um, you know, play discipline and stuff. I mean, he doesn't, doesn't walk a lot. So I think, um, I think there's more likely regression coming in, in Blackman's power based on his, past rates um and he's older um so i think that breakout is a little bit less sustainable and um dickerson's the one i'm gonna end end up owning of the two if i end up owning either yeah i would i would agree with that because i mean primarily it's just uh, i buy the power skill more from from dickerson and hopefully it also comes with the fact that uh, he costs less than blackman but that's yeah. the way. That's kind of the way I see it. And and um, I, I'm also interested to hear your take. Uh, and because you wrote that uh, three things that Matt Kemp is not, uh, or that, but obviously we seem to have developed these preconceptions. The third one, I think, with it, which you talked about how he's not injury prone, and I think that that's a, the, probably the most interesting aspect. Well, to me, it's a, it's the most. I don't want to say questionable aspect because I think that there are, there are ways you can look at it, but. I see what you're saying, but Kemp is an interesting player. But the, I think the, um, as far as hitting the ball hard, I mean, I always had this perception of him that he hit the ball hard, and the line drive percentages, I guess, always said that, and the BABIPs were always high, despite the fact that he struck out a lot and things like that. Like, 
what so has is Kemp not as good as we think he is kind of thing or is he I I I kind of um I know that I uh that I confuse people. Sometimes I do that. I was playing around with this. The three things that are not true are are true and not true. Uh I think they're not completely true. Matt Kemp hits the ball hard, I said because um you know, he does hit the ball hard, but um that's one of these skills that we that we think uh, falls off the fastest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we've already seen it with his homers. He's not a 30 homer guy anymore. And I would like to pay for 20 homers going forward. Yes. So, uh, so basically I'm saying that is true, but it's not true. Uh, Matt Kemp is unrefined. Yeah. His walk rate and his strikeout rate, they're unrefined. They're not great. You know, he's below average in both. It looks like a hacker, but you know, when you look at his, his spray charts, he's really up the middle. So he, I think I believe the high Babbitts. There's a lot of sample on that. He's he's kind of a spray. He's a raw Joey Votto in a way. He sprays the ball to all fields. He's right-handed. It's a little different, but um, so that's one in his favor. Uh, the injury-prone tag. Um, it's true, but even with the best uh, data that we have, uh, it looks like the effect is smaller for hitters than for pitchers. Mm-hmm. Um, because basically I looked, there's a great piece by Rob Arthur on BP about, uh, a, devising a regression analysis for, uh, predicting injury and using that, um, Kemp is likely to miss two weeks, uh, next year. So, you know, he did have a microfracture on his, his ankle. Maybe it's healed. You know, maybe that, maybe that was an issue that he had and he healed it. Um, it's not like. Uh, if he's and he's not stealing as many bases, it's not necessarily the same thing as a pitcher whose shoulder uh, had you know shoulder or elbow surgery and is continuing to pitch with that. You know what I mean? It's not the, the hitters use more body parts, I think. So there's like there's 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 less of a link to like a bulky hamstring is just going to continually always hurt you for the rest of your career um, with. Versus like a pitching elbow, which you use over and over and over and over again. So, um, I, I'm 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 once again being confusing. I'm being confusing reading my piece. <laughs> well, what I think is- people get confused, but you know this is how players are. Players are not that easily put away. And what I ended up with, which is what we t- were talking about earlier, in a sharp league, I think Matt Kemp is going to be um, laughed at. I think a Matt Kemp pick will be laughed at. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's worth laughing at a Matt Kemp peak. I think he's going to have a high Babbitt. I think he's going to have a 280 plus average. I think he's going to steal 20 more bases. I think he's going to, uh, you know, he's going to steal five more bases. He's going to hit 20 more homers. These are, uh, these are things I think he can do. Well, yeah, and- I, I agree. I think, I mean, I, when I look at the steamer projection, I, th- I actually think 25 homers is still easily on the, t- I mean, kind of. My projection would still fall in that range, and I get to why in a second. But I think, yeah, the, the batting average also, and it's kind of that's yeah. I mean, from what we talk the about, Steamer's like, going to go under on the batting average because Steamer is going to regress his BABIP to everybody's BABIP. Right. But I don't. I think that his BABIP, his career BABIP is three fifty one. I don't see the why the three twenty seven BABIP they have been projected for. He's only had that once. Right. That low, that one once in his career. So I will take the over on Steamer's two seventy two batting average easily. Yeah, I totally agree. And and I think what basically to get back to what you're talking about with the injury prone thing or whether he is or not, like, and this is a little bit of selective memory, granted, but 
because we've seen the soft tissue injury things with like the couple of things with the hamstring. Part of that was mismanagement. Um, if I recall, I mean, they should have, shouldn't have bought him back so quickly, but then there were, um, I mean, basically he's dealt with two significant injuries in the past three years with the shoulder thing that he had two surgical procedures on and then uh, the, the ankle injury and all those things kind of like he had, he sustained the ankle injury at a time when he was still in recovery mode, essentially from the other, it, like there was a, there's, I mean, there's a period here of the last, from the last three years where Kemp was just never healthy or the last, I guess, well, two plus years where Kemp was never healthy. And it's really hard to, to take a lot away from like skill level as far as his production goes. And even then he's still like, he hit 300 with 23 homers in, a, in an injury kind of plagued season. I, I think like right. it's easier. It's still easier for me to give him the credit, some of the credit on the power because he hits for power to all fields. He can hit some of those Yasiel Puig type homers, to right center and right field, especially because right field is relative. I mean, Dodger stadium is a, is not, uh, I mean, I think it has a, a, a sub 100 park factor to left field, but I think to right field, it's probably neutral or, or even better. Um, and he can do that kind of thing. I, I think that, and for the first, what month and a half, two months of this season, um, he was still that player struggling to find health and, and to find his swing and things like that. He was awful. People were talking about dropping him and maybe I, maybe he spent some time on the table. This, I don't even recall, but then like, he just kind of, he finally got it all back together. And at least now we can say Kemp is going to an off season where he's healthy. We, we, at least for now, we know that an injury is still part of the projection because he's sustained a couple of serious ones and he's had the soft, but like right now he's healthy. So that's a good thing. You know, and the real life baseball talk is going to, is going to, is going to creep in there. I mean, people talking about, about them jettisoning him, jettisoning right. him and, and cutting his contract and how bad he is defensively. People are going to put Kemp in this place where they're like, Oh, he's not a good player. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's going to feed into the perception, but that's the kind of perception I like. I could see myself buying a Matt Kemp, even coming off a season where he did better than expected, because people still don't think he's that good. He's but now people think he's not a very good player, and he's an overpaid player, and things like that. Like that's, and I think that's what I was trying to get at with those statements. It's like we make these statements about Matt Kemp, which seem like black and white, and then you kind of when you uncover them, there's a lot more, but underneath them. I mean, I don't think I was. Really, honestly, I was surprised by the spray charts. I thought, I thought he was getting high BABIPs based on foot speed, and uh, and then I saw the spray charts and I said, oh, of course, he he does have actually a cool approach. You know, he does have something going on. So, I mean, you don't do what he, you don't actually have good batting averages with his strikeout rates unless you're doing something right. Right. So, <laughs> uh, and I think that there's like a definitely a perception, especially in the sort of saber camps that he's um that there's something uh that, that he's not a good player so i think what's I, when you see his his um splits to the opposite field like the most encouraging thing for me was i mean he had and i, I look i like to look at iso to the opposite field as kind of a little bit of a, a gauge for that kind of power and i mean for the most part he's put up like 300 plus isos i mean that's and that's his career is 316 um he had an outrageous season in 2012 where uh before i think 
it was I mean it was over 500 you, there's you you discount that but basically last season was awful and and you had a lot of health playing into that and since he's recovered it and he hit 363 ice uh, his ISO is 363 this year to the opposite field that tells me he just he's recovered a lot of that ability and if anything I mean he's I think he has the kind of skill set where even though he strikes out a lot, he could still age pretty well in terms of batting average and things like that, where he could still be a pretty solid player with, uh, you know, 15 to 20 homer power into his mid thirties and late, et cetera. But like, as long as health, you know, as long as health is kind of on his side, I mean, that's, that's kind of where you would start a projection and then factor in all those other things. Whereas I think that he's going to be discounted because people think that he's a worse player than he is. Anyway, that's, I was getting I just I like I like players who hit the ball hard the other way <laughs> you know I I agree uh I agree I think uh you know I, d- I did some studies on on uh on power the other way and, and found the same thing um that is it's a good skill it, it came up in the Joey Votto article um that was maybe my first break into uh into the clubhouse so um you know Kemp is more traditional in terms of uh than like Vmark for example his 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 contact outside the zone is already is already going down. Uh, he's already uh, post peak there, and but he doesn't reach that much, so it's not that big a deal. I mean, I had really, you know, you really do have to confront your personal biases. Um, you know, Swick had an article about about uh, Starling Marte, and mm-hmm. I had a similar I had a similar feeling when I did this Kemp piece, which is just that I thought he was a hacker who reached at everything and struck out a lot and was destined for a bad batting average. He may be as his as his athleticism goes down, but he has a good approach. So, uh, anyway, Kemp might be a good uh, a good pick in some leagues, um, depending on the people you're up against. My voice is beginning to uh, to waver. Okay, well, sounds good. Uh, <laughs> I do uh, just before we do, uh, yeah, before your voice wavers and we let you go completely. I'll see what we can get you to comment on. We did have a Twitter question that I wanted to get to real quickly, and I don't think that. We have to get into. There's not a whole lot that we need to get into. I don't think. Uh, but basically, you know, any uh, Twitter user asked, uh, "What are what are kind of our goals for each collective statistic to, to win a 12-team head-to-head league uh, that has the seven ca- hitting categories?" He provided six of the seven, which are run, walks, stolen bases, RBI, home runs, and batting average. Um, I guess we could guess what the seventh is. It's hit by pitch or something. I don't know. That's obviously not. <laughs> but and, and basically. I, I- I, I actually looked at this for uh, Roto World magazine a couple years back. I I uh, asked everybody to crowdsource me um, their league their league standings at the end of the year, um, and it was for five by five. So I can't. And it was uh, a couple years ago, and, and baseball has changed since then. But uh, generally, uh, I try to get more than two hundred stolen bases and more than hundred. I mean, more than two hundred home runs and more than one hundred and thirty stolen bases. Um, and I try to have a better than a 270 batting average. Uh, from what I saw, that that uh, that may, would make me competitive in those three core categories, and those categories have good correlations to the rest. Yeah. Um, I don't know how great uh, that is for walk rate and and walks. You may have to um, kind of look back at your old leagues and, and think about that on your own. Uh, but in terms of homers. Uh, correlated to RBIs, it's obvious. Uh, stolen bases correlate to runs because uh, usually your top of the base guy, top of the order guys, the guys stealing bases and they they're scoring runs. Um, and average correlates to both uh, RBIs and runs. So yeah, uh, that's usually I'm trying to get a guy uh, who can help me towards that goal. 
My guess is that home runs would correlate a little more with walks than stolen bases would. Uh, just because it's a head-to-head league, like, I don't, I wouldn't, de- like, I think of it as, like, I don't even necessarily want to target a certain number, but, like, I would still. Oh, yeah, kind that of, was proto. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that, well, and I don't think that's necessary. I mean, because in the end, a valuable player is a valuable player in, in each league. But, I mean, I tend to, uh, when I play in a head-to-head league, which has actually been a few years since I played in one, but um, a head-to-head league for me is something where I want, I want dependable production from week to week. And, and I'm assuming, based on the fact that you have categories, that it's a roto head-to-head thing. And I mean, I would I would focus on power and then like I would take stolen bases kind of like if they come with power, that's a huge bonus. Like I would want those guys. I would pay a little extra for those guys and I would not pay for speed guys like Ben Revere or anything like that. Like there's just because stolen bases from week to week are not very dependable. They come in bunches and things like that. I mean, well, that seems to me and I could be totally um, kind of um, that could be you know, something that's more empirical and, and not really evidence and, uh, and based on a feeling, but I, I th- home runs in general, they correlate a lot better to those things. And I think you'll just fi- like, I'd be willing to punt stolen bases in a head to head league most of the time. But if you're going to get stolen bases with the power guys, you can still win that. You might win that in some weeks uh, and that'll just give you a better record uh, by the end of the season. I think that that's, 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 that would tend to be where I would focus is, is try to go after power period and uh, especially reliable power. And I think that that's something where obviously we've talked about a great deal on this podcast is which players we think are ha- uh, have or exhibit reliable power. So, Yeah, and with, with, uh, with um, I guess, you know, people always ask for the new, the new Michael Brantley because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, I, I would just try to find, you know, the, the more reliable guys and then, you know, if you can get Christian Yelich for free, for cheaper than he should be, then, uh, you know, he's a guy I think could have some power out, output this year. I, yes. I do, you know, I, I generally, you know, spend the first couple of rounds trying to get power with speed just so that I don't have to um, get anybody later that has no no power. Right. Um, so I tend to agree with that. Yes. Five category stuff. If it's a if it's snake draft, five category stuff early on. Um, and... Um, Five category stuff early on, and five category stuff later on, but much more muted. So I'd rather uh, be shopping in the in the bin, the sort of Adam Eaton bin, the ten homers and twenty stolen bases, than the Ben Revere bin, the sort of zero homers and thirty stolen bases. Just because I like guys who can can um, uh, give me something in every category. Mm-hmm. Um, this is much, much more important than Roto. I think in, in H2H, um, it's, as the draft goes along, you can zig and, and just, you can definitely punt in, in head to head and you can decide that people are overvaluing something and just go for it. I wouldn't punt power, uh, but you can punt stolen bases and you can punt saves. Mm-hmm. Um, and that changes how you would approach, uh, benchmarks, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, hopefully we're, we, we were some help, and uh, we'd be had to, glad to hear some follow-ups. We do welcome the, the questions on the Twitter. And uh, thank, <laughs> thank you all very much for joining us for this episode number 178. Uh, before we torture Eno's voice box any further, uh, we will be getting out the door. Uh, I am Nicholas Minix. Eno, thank you very much again for, uh, for taking some time away from your uh, almost healthy self. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and we look forward again to speaking with you in the very near future. Uh, this has been the sleeper and the bust.
Boom.